Hello, and welcome to Borderline and Back, Hope and Recovery for Borderline Personality Disorder. I'm your host, Maggie, and this week I'm following up on my diagnosis story from episode one, specifically why I think or feel the diagnosis took roughly 10 years to come. As a reminder, I'm not a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, or a doctor. I'm simply a person walking through the process of recovery and management of BPD who wants to share my journey, struggles, successes, and resources to help you or your loved one on their journey of recovery and self-love. Before we get into the episode, I want to be transparent with you all. I've had a really rough week. By rough, I mean more than work was difficult, neither of my computers were working, and the housework never ended. Rough in the way that I felt constantly dysregulated, like I was on the brink of an emotional breakdown several times a day. My life at the moment is a mess. This year has been the hardest of my life with major life changes, my diagnosis, and a divorce. Yes, a divorce. For those of you who have BPD, you can probably imagine the pain this has caused, my fears of rejection and abandonment coming to fruition. And this week's fears kept creeping up on me. And you know what? I've mindfully sat with them. I let myself feel and think on these emotions, these feelings, recognize them, and then I let them go. I was able to remind myself that my BPD wants me to believe these negative beliefs and that there are actually so many great things in my life. Positive experiences, people, and relationships, old and new, that I have so much to be grateful for. So for any of you that are currently going through a rough patch, I feel your pain, and you are so strong for walking your recovery journey. And if no one else has told you recently, I am proud of you. And remember that not every day or week is going to be perfect. Truthfully, there's a part of me that struggles to tell this part of my story. Um, I know that my mom and my sister and a few family members and friends listen to this podcast. And while some of them know my struggles and trauma now, most do not. And this episode might be hard for them to hear. So now that we have that off my chest, let's get to the actual topic of the week, difficulty in diagnosis. When I was first diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I was so relieved. I mentioned that in the previous episode that I finally felt understood like there was something to describe what I had been feeling internally for so many years. However, when I shared my diagnosis with family, with my former husband, they could not wrap their heads around it. That doesn't sound like you. You don't scream at me. You don't self-harm. It was invalidating statement after invalidating statement. At first, I was angry. I had a typical BPD moment, and I shut them out. I couldn't find a way to explain to them what I went through in my head. And worse, I was scared to tell people in my life about all the behaviors I hid from them throughout my life. I was scared to tell them just how many of the nine criteria I met in order to be given the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. I was scared to tell them because truthfully, it shocked and scared me. What went through my mind, the rage I feel internally, and the inner turmoil, projecting these feelings onto myself instead of others, 
I couldn't find a way to explain this to the people around me. So I started doing my own research on BPD. What the psychiatrist didn't tell me when I was diagnosed was that there are subtypes of borderline personality disorder, for to be specific. These subtypes are discouraged or the quiet borderline, self-destructive borderline, impulsive borderline, and petulant borderline. I will go into greater detail of these subtypes in a future episode, but today we're going to focus on my subtype, quiet borderline. That was what my therapist described to me about my subtype. And again, it was an aha moment. So Psychology Today says the following about the quiet borderline subtype. If you have quiet BPD, you act in. You experience the entire gamut of emotions, fear, rejection, mood swings, rage, obsessive emotional attachment, self-doubt, anxiety, and so on. However, you do not show your inner turmoil on the outside. Instead of lashing out, you direct the anger, hate, and blame towards yourself. Some common symptoms or common experiences of the quiet borderline subtype are you hide how you truly feel. You appear very high functioning. You suffer from depersonalization and derealization. I would also add dissociation in here. You people please at a high price. You isolate yourself. You're afraid to be alone, but you push people away. You blame yourself for everything. You are confused about who you are. You have a high need for control. There is devaluation and idealization of those around you. Looking back, a very common trigger for me would be my former husband being late, coming home late for the gym, being out later with friends than expected, or being late to finish work when I was picking him up. These things would cause frantic thoughts and behaviors for me, behaviors that you might relate to. Thoughts would creep into my mind. I've been waiting in the car for 30 minutes. He doesn't even respect my time. Oh my God, was he in an accident? Is he okay? He's probably cheating on me or interested in another woman. I would text and text and text some more. If my texts were not answered, it led to calls. Not just one call though, call after call after call. I even went so far as to buy him an Apple Watch for his birthday so my messages and calls would appear on his wrist so that he couldn't completely ignore me. The anger and disrespect I would feel would lead me to shut down completely emotionally on him when he finally got home. I was screaming in my head at him, intense periods of hate and devaluing him in our relationship. At the same time, there was an intense fear of him being mad at me of leaving me if I felt his energy had changed even the slightest. That I could not properly communicate these feelings to him really bothered me. I expected him to just know. These were all parts of my quiet BPD. This pattern of behavior started long before my marriage. I recognized these same thoughts and behaviors in friendships starting in my early teenage years um, towards my parents especially my mom when she left my dad uh, when I was 18. And I also recognized them in every romantic relationship I was in prior to meeting my ex-husband. There were occasions when my internal rage, that turbulence, would seep out and actually lead to external episodes. 
one that sticks out in my mind was when I was in university and seeing someone who had been my neighbor. We had spent the summer spending almost every day together while he lived alone in a house he shared with his roommates, his best friends really. And I was in my apartment with only two of my five roommates. I got used to having him to myself, no competition for attention and getting to see a side of him I had never experienced when we were neighbors. It was actually really nice. When his roommates came back to the city, their house turned into a party house and immediately my insecurities came out. Thoughts of, oh, he's surrounded by ditzy, blonde, gorgeous sorority girls. He's obviously cheating on me. His friends think he can do better than me. Those kind of thoughts. There was a night where my roommates did not want to go to a house party they were having. And retrospectively, I can't blame them. Realistically, I didn't want to go either. I just wanted to keep tabs on him. We ended up staying in our loft complex to pre-drink with some neighbors who had their friends down from Toronto. When my boyfriend was not responding to my messages, I was infuriated. It was the era of Blackberry Messenger. My friend had just become single, so I sent my personal message to Poppin' Bottles to the girl with no boyfriend. It was ambiguous. I had his roommates on BBM, so I knew that they would see it and would start asking him what was going on with him and I. I also made a point of flirting with my neighbor's friends, sitting on their laps, displaying the exact behaviors I would have lost my mind if I saw my boyfriend doing. Well, all of these negative behaviors paid off. If you can say that, I don't encourage you to do anything like what I just described. My boyfriend's roommate was up the road waiting in line at our group's favorite bar, the bar me and my friends were supposed to go to that night, and he was sent to check up on me where he found me in the lap of some guy I did not know and was flirting with. This roommate, who was also my friend, proceeded to throw me over his shoulder and take me to my boyfriend's house. Upon arrival, actually the whole way there, I was loudly expressing how indignant this whole experience was, how inappropriate it was for him to throw me over his shoulder and carry me away from my friends and my house. Which, well, it was, let's be honest but so was my behavior. But let's reflect. Ultimately, I got what I wanted. I got my boyfriend's attention, even if it started out negative, and I managed to talk my way out of it and proceed to spend the night with him. That result only encouraged and solidified that tantrums are a way for me to get what I want from the people around me when I cannot express a need. In the same way that I was experiencing and hiding these kinds of episodes or feelings, I have also hidden other behaviors from loved ones, even those that I lived with. Self-harm or control behaviors that I am not proud of and am sad to say on occasion I still participate in. Like I said, no one's perfect and I'm still walking this journey with you. I'm not going to go into details. I find that to be triggering for me to hear on other podcasts. I also do not want to give people who are struggling with self-harm or eating disorders ideas on how they can go about hiding these behaviors they might also be participating in. All I will say is that I was good at hiding self-inflicted injuries or disordered eating behaviors from the time I was 13. When I was first diagnosed with BPD, my ex said I could not have borderline personality disorder because I did not participate in self-harm or impulsive behaviors. 
it wasn't until he said he wanted a divorce months later that I finally broke down and told him about all of them. In an odd way, I felt I was finally free enough to do so. He was already leaving me. He couldn't judge me more or leave me for these behaviors. And truthfully, he was devastated. It hurt him to know how long I had been doing these things, how long I had been hurting myself, and he didn't know that for almost nine years, he missed the signs. My family, especially my mom and my sister, expressed these same feelings. You were always the one who was in control, the one who never stepped out of line. And that was because of the drive I felt to please every single person around me. The drive to be the perfect daughter, the perfect student, the perfect wife. And when I felt that I was failing in one or more of those areas, I needed a way to control the pain I felt, a way to punish myself. It was a period in my life before I had found dialectical behavior therapy and before I found my amazing therapist who has helped me work through the negative thought patterns and maladaptive behaviors that I struggled with for more than half my life. My whole life, I hid a huge part of me, huge struggles, and I successfully hid them from the people I had the closest relationships with in my life. No one identified the issues or raised concerns. I also was not aware that these behaviors were actually forms of self-harm, disordered eating, or displays of impulse control. Representation in the media often tends to depict self-harm as cutting focused on specific areas of the body. It doesn't often look at intense picking or other far more specific forms of self-harm. Disordered eating is often depicted as anorexia nervosa or bulimia, where the bodies of those suffering look bone thin, frail, on the edge of being lifeless. My patterns of controlled eating, again, I am being intentionally vague here, were never brought to my attention until I had to fill out those surveys for the psychiatrist. This meant that in the past, when I had been asked if I participated in disordered eating, or self-harm, I would always answer no, almost immediately, too quickly really. Like deep down I knew that it was atypical behavior, but I was not going to admit it. Through those surveys, I also learned that abuse does not mean physical abuse or extreme bursts of anger. I learned how trauma can deeply impact the development of children and adolescents. That neglect does not only mean that a parent or parents do not provide you with the basic necessities of life. There were realities I had not wanted to admit about experiences I had growing up or had suppressed deeply that were finally servicing and could no longer be ignored. They were there on this paper staring back at me and I could no longer hide from it. I was finally being honest with myself and with a doctor for the first time in my life. When I was first diagnosed, I was so angry at being failed by medical professionals, or at least that's the narrative that I created in my head and I clung to for quite a while. I was infuriated that they should have looked for something other than general anxiety disorder, GAD, panic attack disorder, and depression or major depressive episodes 
to explain what I was going through in my life. I was infuriated that when the medications that I was being cycled on weren't working, that I should have been referred to see a psychiatrist years before. But now, as I reflect and can use wise mind skills, my own inability to be honest with myself, to be honest with my doctor and with past therapists, was and is a major contributing factor into why I suffered for so long, to why I was not diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I was also scared to disclose to friends, family, or my partner what I was dealing with, how deeply I was suffering. I didn't disclose because I couldn't bear them thinking that I was broken, that I was not perfect. And even more, I could not bear the thought of being a burden. It only added to my shame. And in that, I did truly suffer alone when I could have had a support system helping guide me to get the help that I truly needed. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned the nine criteria for borderline personality disorder, or the nine criteria that are examined um, in order to reach a diagnosis. In order to receive this diagnosis of BPD, you have to meet a minimum of five of these listed patterns of behavior. I'm struggling with the idea of talking about these criteria. I believe that knowledge is power, but I also wholeheartedly believe in seeking proper medical attention for any medical health-related diagnosis. And in order to get a proper diagnosis, you need to be honest and unbiased by research you may have done. That being said, not everyone has access or privilege to speak with a psychiatrist. You might only be able to see your general practitioner doctor. If you are one of those people, I will leave a resource in the notes of this episode below. But please take this information and use it to engage in an honest conversation with your doctor about finding treatment options that will work for you, not just for self-diagnosis. I am providing this in order for you to get the help you need on your own path to recovery. It is to be used as a tool, not as a solution. I do not believe that meeting these criteria explains away maladaptive behaviors or that these should be used as crutches to hide behind your BPD to hinder your recovery because it's too hard to overcome. Because recovery is hard. I believe that in order to support someone and help them get on track to the life that they want to live, that tough love is often required. And this is my moment of tough love to you or your family member who is newly diagnosed or just starting their path to recovery. It is going to be hard, probably the hardest thing you do in your life. And it is going to be frustrating. Frustrating to change years of behaviors, learning to set and enforce boundaries and to respect boundaries set by others is hard. Learning the consequences of what happens when these boundaries are not kept is also awful the first few times you experience this. This stuff is all hard. It is all new and all unknown. And our BPD minds want to keep us trapped in the negative patterns that we have come to identify as safe. I'm using air quotes here, people. 
we learn to grow past these behaviors and work towards recovery by doing hard things, but also by doing simple things that we neglect. Things like basic self-care, brushing our teeth and our hair, showering daily, getting ourselves dressed in the morning, putting on makeup, even things like eating nutritious food and moving our bodies. All of that tough love and self-care talk is a nice segue into what I'm planning on next week's episode covering the importance of proper self-care, nutrition, and exercise. In that episode, I'm also going to touch on how these items, at least for me, have deeply impacted my comorbid ADHD symptoms, as well as how they impact my BPD. A reminder that I would love to hear from you. You can voice message me through the Anchor app or send me an email at borderlineandback at gmail.com, also listed in the notes below. Send me a hello message, introduce yourself, ask questions, or make suggestions for future episodes. I love connecting with you. It is why I started this podcast to help those with BPD and their families navigate this diagnosis and give hope through a path to recovery. Until next week, just remember that you are enough. Remember to trust the process of recovery. Do the work that is needed, that things are about progress and not perfection. Just be a little better every day. And most importantly, remember to grant yourself some grace when you need it.